You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, happy Easter! Oh, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Bill Vecchio. I'm one of the pastors and elders here, and uh, so good to see you guys. And uh, just to, to, my name is Bill. This is my wife Lauren. She was singing up here. Uh, I've got uh, four beautiful daughters, and we just took in a. Uh, foster daughter this week, Elizabeth. She's six years old. Uh, she's precious. So you'll see her. She's going to be running around here right after the service. And so um, Easter is one of those holidays that is globally recognized. It's not the most popular one. Um, I believe that Christmas about doubles the popularity of Easter, probably because we're combating uh, an Easter bunny and candy with presents and a big jolly old man. So, um, but the, the, like in the world, people do recognize Easter, but, but Easter has eternal ramifications. It impacts what happens after we die. And so I was watching this uh, special. It was uh, Larry King. He was doing an interview, um, and he's a TV show, radio host, um, and he was doing this interview with six world leaders, different religions, and he was asking questions like, who is God? Uh, what happens after death? What does the afterlife look like? And so they're having this kind of debate. He's asking them questions, and their different views, and, and there was only one thing that all of them agreed with. Uh, the guy who was representing, the pastor who was representing Christianity, his name was John MacArthur, and he said this, death is a reality. Everyone is going to die. And you are not in charge of when. I mean, this, this was the one point that the whole room was like, yeah, all of us will die. Happy Easter. So now you could go home, see you guys. Uh, but then this question of the afterlife came up, and, and the question of how do we get there. And there were four that actually agreed with this. It was the Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, a spiritual leader. I don't, I, that was the title. Um, something about the spiritual world. Um, and a Muslim senior advisor. And they said that the only hope that we have after death is to live a good life. In fact, the um, Jewish rabbi said, you know, we in our school systems, we grade on a pass-fail rating. 65% is what you need to get in order to pass. So my guess is that, you know, you got to be around 67% to get into heaven. To that, Larry King said, gosh, I hope it's 51%. <laughs> then the atheist popped up on the screen, and, and the atheist said, um, that, that there's this false reality that we live in, that there's this fabrication of an afterlife that, that happens, and it's just a fairy tale, because when you die, you die. There is nothingness. And, and one of the things that, if you're watching this interview, and you can go probably find it on YouTube, was that th this person in particular, and I don't know if this is representative of all atheists, but she just seemed miserable. She truly just seemed hopeless. It was, we live, we die, that's it, get over it. But then, as I was listening, this Pastor John MacArthur gave what I felt in my heart was the only hope-filled answer. 
And he said, we know no one is good. So we need a savior. Someone who lived perfection for us. Places his perfection on us and forgives how we all miss the mark. Jesus rising from the dead is our only hope to spend eternity with God and those we love in heaven. I mean, this is Easter. This is what we're talking about. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are left hopeless. And so I want to look at this event that we just read, that Natalie just read for us, in John 11, and talk about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And if I can just say this, often I think we can come to an Easter service and we bring friends and we bring family. And we're going to go and we're going to sell, we're going to eat good food. Um, and often after a service like this, people will come up and they'll say, man, that was really good for those that didn't believe in Jesus. And I want to challenge us this morning. Christians, believers, God wants to speak to you this morning. The gospel is for every single person in this room. And we have to remind ourselves this every single day because it is the only hope that we have. And so I don't want you to leave here today and be like, oh, that was a good message for those that don't believe. No, this is a message for the church and this is a message for everyone in this room that has yet to place their faith in Jesus. But I want you to know if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And today, from his word, I want to show you how much you are loved, that you are known, and you belong in his family. So John 11, Jesus is traveling um, through different cities. He's performing miracles. He's proclaiming that the kingdom has come. And then in verses 1 through 8 that Natalie just read, we see this reality of Jesus' relationships Jesus had real relationships and emotions. We see that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. You see that he has these friends and these neighbors and family, and even Jesus had enemies. We see in verse 8 that there are people that are seeking to stone him. Has anybody in this room, had anybody seek to stone them? So he had friends, he had family, and he also had enemies. There were real relationships in his life. And, and this is one of the main reasons why history doesn't debate that there was a man named Jesus that walked the earth. Why? Because he was a real historical person. Google it. I mean, Forbes magazine, Times magazine would say he's one of the most influential leaders of all time. And there are these witnesses, these close friends, these disciples that followed him, lived with him for years. And if you're going to make up a legend, if you're going to make up something that's not true, you don't use real people. And so I, this, this happens for me at nighttime. I love to tell my girls stories, and I have a pretty kind of creative brain. Um, and so I like to, like, come up these fairy tales for them. And usually there's something to do with, like, a dragon a unicorn, and they're some kind of a princess that turns into a ninja or some kind of a superhero. And, and, so, and so they're like in this, this like fight against evil, and they're going to find the man who has stolen our ice cream in our house. Um, and usually it's our next-door neighbor, Mike. And so, um, and so we're, and I always talk about their super dog, Remy, and Maya is my fact checker. Anytime I'm making up these stories, I'm like, and then Remy, her superpower was flying. She's like, Dad, 
Remy doesn't fly. Like, I, I know, but in the story, I'm like, she was flying. And she's like, Dad, Remy doesn't fly. And I'm like, and you had super strength. She's like, Dad, I'm five. And so she's fact-checking me. Why? Because using real people in fake stories doesn't really work when you're talking about something that is a legend versus reality. And so history, as we're looking at this, we're seeing that there were real people that surrounded Jesus, that he grew up in an actual home, that he did work, like he was a carpenter. He traveled, he got tired, he was sweaty, he was hungry. We see these things all throughout history and the word of God. Relationships point to reality. I mean, relationships were created by Jesus. God exists in relationship with himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this perfect relationship. And he created us to have relationships with one another. That's why when he created man, what did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. So he created relationships with real people. Jesus loved, he cared, and he served people. Now let's look at verse 11. Because his disciples thought he was late. That's, that's, their, that's their posture towards him. So look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So, what are we seeing here? He is in this town. He sent, hey, Lazarus is ill. Now, now Jesus was healing people. Jesus healed those that were blind. Jesus healed those that were lame. Jesus healed those that were sick. And so he was going around healing people. He had a gift of healing. And so one of his closest friends gets sick, towns away, and so they send for him, Jesus, come back, your friend is sick. And he doesn't go running. He actually delays two days until he dies. And he does it for a purpose, so that they may believe. Because he knew that the people around him, those that were closest to him, still had doubts. Anybody in this room ever have a doubt about Jesus? He knew. He knew their doubts. And he did this so that they may believe. Jesus is never late. So in verses 17 through 37, we actually see how upset Mary and Martha were. They come after Jesus, and they're like, if you were here, our brother wouldn't have died. We know how powerful you could have easily healed him. You could have even healed him way when you were in the other town. Why didn't you do that, Jesus? You ever have that posture with God? God, why? Why are you doing this to me? Again, another financial crisis. Lord, we lived through this once before. Lord, a hurricane really Right? We, we have these doubts, and, and then we take these doubts, and they fester inside us, and they build up. I, I know, all right, 
I know you never blame God for being late. Maybe this is just me. But I do have experience with waiting. Right now, currently, I'm in a house with six girls. I wait, off, I wait often. I love you. Who forgot their shoes? Who needs their stuffy? Like, I'm just sitting there waiting. I mean, don't, don't they know how valuable my time is? And I often posture myself that way with God. God, I'm waiting. Like, don't you know that I'm doing things for you? Hmm. But Jesus is never late. He has a plan. He let Lazarus die so that those around him, those closest to him, those whom he loves may believe. Now, why would he do this? A little bit before this, um, we've been going through this series, I Am, all these I Am statements that Jesus, Jesus makes, and, and he's talking about being the good shepherd. Do you remember what he says about being the good shepherd? I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. They didn't get it. I mean, they, they kind of did. They knew, like, yeah, something was going to happen, but they're hoping for a political revolt. They're, they're not understanding that he came to die. And he wants to leave them with no doubt in what's about to happen, what's about to take place. I mean, because we, I, am a doubting people. I need to see it with my own eyes. Anybody else relate to that? I need to see it to believe it. But he isn't late. He knows exactly what is needed and when. And God's timetable is different than yours and mine. But he meets you where you are. And so how does he do this? Well, there's two specific ways that we're going to see two relationships that pop up in this story, one with Martha and one with Mary. Two very unique personalities, two people that I think everybody in this room is going to be able to relate to. First, you have Martha. She comes running up. And you know what I love about this story? That God shows us two unique people. And Martha is a thinker. Where are my thinkers at? Like, if you're a thinker, if you need logic, if you need to see it. All right, so since they didn't raise their hands, can you just look at them and raise their hand for them? <laughs> it should be about half of this room. Yeah. Right? You like to be in control. You like to know it all. You like to have all the facts. That's, that's okay, you could stop raising their hand. <laughs> this is church. Um, Martha was super intelligent, super bright. She was a thinker. He engages her mind. Look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been, already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. He did not want to leave anything to question. Within 72 hours of death, our bodies begin to decay. Bacteria sets in. And there is no doubt that this was not just a really long nap. Like he was in the tomb for four days. The, the rigor mortis, I mean, that, that's already come and gone. 
like the body was decaying. And so he wanted to do this for a purpose, and so he begins to engage her mind. So this is conversation between Martha and Jesus. And she has an amazing theology of the resurrection. Look at verse 24. Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She has the head knowledge. Even though Martha was the one working in the kitchen and she was doing all the stuff to like serve and she was listening. Jesus was teaching and she was taking it all in. She's a thinker. She was processing. She knew all the answers to the test. And so when Jesus says he will rise, she's like, I know. Here's the theology of it. Here's all the knowledge that I've gained from you. I know these things, Jesus. She's a student. And she trusted Jesus. I mean, she really had belief in Jesus. Her, her knowledge led her to this faith in Jesus. Look at verse 22. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give it to you. She needed to see it to believe it, but at the same time, she had confidence in her God. Now, I'm positive there's some here today, like Martha, that need proof. The thinkers, the logic. And our world has that proof, but it's never enough. And it's never going to be enough. There's this Nazareth inscription. It's a marble tablet in Greek writing, dated approximately 41 AD. It is an edict from the order of the emperor. It says that there is capital punishment to move a body from the graves or the tombs. Now, why does this matter? Well, 41 AD was just a few years after Jesus was crucified and then put in a tomb, and then days later, his body disappeared. And there was such a stir in the culture and in the neighborhoods and in the towns that Jesus rose from the dead that the emperor wanted to create an edict to stop this spread because they thought that someone had come in and stolen the body. Even though they had soldiers there, even though the tomb was sealed, even though all those things, like they put this edict, the emperor puts this edict in place so that there would be a warning to those to be grave robbers. Now often, when they would go rob graves, they were going for the treasure. They were going for the stuff because people would bury them with different things, different, different valuables. But a body? Who takes the body? And so this edict is put in place. And this is a historical thing that has been found. Or the Testimonium Flavia. First century Jewish historian, Josephus. Not sure if he was a believer or not, but this is what he writes. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man. If indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats, he was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day, he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. So there are these accounts of a man who lived and was buried, and the tomb was opened, and he was no longer there. And hundreds of people saw him, ate with him, placed their hands where the wounds were. 
And don't just take all of those accounts. I mean, think of the people that were closest to him. James, his half-brother. In John 7.5, James is listed as someone who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In Mark 3, it says that his family tried to stop him from speaking because everybody thought he was crazy. So I don't know, I wasn't there, but, but it would show in these verses that James wasn't a believer in the Messiah. And he dies. And in fact, even at his crucifixion, Jesus looks to John, his beloved disciple, and says, this is your mother, talking about Mary. And he says, take care of her as your mother. Well, wouldn't that have been James's job? James was gone. James was nowhere to be found at this point. But then in Acts 1, 14, he's listed as one of the followers of Jesus. In Acts 15, he's actually a leading figure in the church and was killed for his faith in Jesus as the Messiah? I mean, what would have had to have happened for him to not believe his whole life, him die, and then now all of a sudden, oh yeah, now I'm gonna give my life? I mean, just telling you, my sisters, like, I would have to raise somebody from the dead or raise from the dead myself for them to believe I'm God, okay? Like, I mean, like, so he had to have seen something for him to his whole life just say, no, this isn't real, this isn't, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he's the Messiah. He rose again. I mean, Paul, I mean, this was like the worst career move that a guy could have made. He was at the top of his game, super educated. Um, he was still rising. He had status, gifting, power. And then he goes to proclaim that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Why would he do that? Like, that's like being the president of the largest company in the world and then, like, going and doing something that doesn't even matter. Unless he saw something, something so real, so tangible, that everything that he worked for in his whole life, he was able to just say, I lay that all down for the sake of knowing Jesus, my king. And then you've got Peter. We went from this scared, denying guy to leading the church, being crucified upside down. 300 Old Testament prophecies. I mean, no one else in all of history has fulfilled as many prophecies that were written hundreds of years before they walked the earth. I actually was reading this, this this past week and was just getting this sense and this overwhelming feeling and understanding that Jesus is foreshadowing his resurrection. He's, he, they've seen him open up the eyes of the blind and, and help people who couldn't walk, walk. But then he wanted to leave no doubts in their mind that he had the power to raise the dead because he knew that he was walking towards the cross. And so he wanted to leave out any doubt that they possibly could have had. I recently heard a man say, you know, if, if Jesus didn't exist or rise from the dead, I'd still be a Christian because it works. Like the rules and the regulations and the laws, like it works. It, it makes my life better. No. No. If there is no resurrection, we are fools and we are misrepresenting God. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. It says that we would be fools in misrepresenting God if we're professing that he rose from the dead and he really didn't. 
No resurrection, no life after death. The resurrection is why we gather in a place today to celebrate the fact that he is no longer dead, but he is alive even right now, sitting next to the Father, interceding on your behalf, saying to God the Father, he's with me, she's with me. My blood has covered them, their mistakes, their hurts, their pain, their suffering. But the resurrection is not all about logic and facts. Then he engages Mary. Sweet Mary, where are my feelers at? Yeah, it's your turn now to raise their hands. The nudge. No, you're thinkers, you don't need to do that. Now Mary enters. She's a feeler. She's mad. She's crying. And he enters into her emotions. He cares. He cries. He's angered. He loves. Whatever trial, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever loss you are experiencing right now, in this very moment, Jesus has entered in with you. He feels. He experienced rejection, loneliness, brokenness, betrayal, temptation. He even felt death. Death is unavoidable. But Jesus left eternity, perfection, perfect harmony, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit being worshiped day and night, left that to wrap himself in a death-bound body so he could conquer death once and for all and bring life to all those who one day will experience death. That's the good news that we come here to celebrate this morning. He feels your pain. He engages your mind. And I want to end by reading verses 38 through 44. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. There was a cave and a stone had laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this on the count of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. And the man who had died came out. And his hands and his feet were bound with linen straps, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus not only can raise others from the dead, but he himself raised from the dead so that we may have life. And here's our response this is a foreshadow of his resurrection that we are celebrating today. Do you believe that Jesus rose 
from the dead? And if so, how has that belief transformed your life? Jesus is after your head and your heart. He wants all of you, the good, the bad, and the in-between. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows you. And he wants you to be a part of his family. Jesus is inviting you to participate. Believers, what, how are you allowing your life to be transformed by this good news? I love that at the end of this story, that, that Jesus invites those that are there to participate in this part of the resurrection where they have to go and unbind him. There are people in your life that are walking around with dead wraps all over them. And he is inviting you to go share good news with them in such a way that all of the decay of death will come off. Do you understand this? Okay, I don't feel like we understand this. There is a man in a tomb there for four days. The wraps would have smelled. There would have been this aura of decay and death on him. And after Jesus calls him out and he's walking in life, he invites those to participate and unwrap him. He's invited you, if you're a believer here today, to participate in seeing those that are in your life that don't know him as their Lord and Savior to share good news with them so that they may have life too. And he invites you to unbind them and take part in his resurrection. Believers, don't let more days go by before you share good news with those around you that you love. We don't know when the last day is. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. It may be soon, it may not, but that shouldn't matter. Go, therefore, and make disciples because there's a lost and hurting and broken world around us. And it's okay if you're lost and hurting and broken too. That's who needs to come to Jesus. It's those that think that they have it all together that, that are far from him. We don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. That's why I need Jesus. I'm not gonna pass the litmus test at 67%. We need a savior. We are celebrating the risen king today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, engage our minds right now. As we sing, we are gonna sing words of truth. And this may be the first time that someone in this room has ever even mouthed these words. We know that it is through the power of your Holy Spirit that we will have our lives transformed by your gospel. So if there's anyone here in the room today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, transform their head, their mind, transform their heart so that they may know that they are loved, that they are known, that they belong in your family. And God, for every believer in this room today, help them to understand that they are on a mission to go and unbind everyone that they know, every man, every woman, and child. Lord, unbind the death and decay that's around them, Lord, by sharing your good news and claiming the victory that you have rose from the dead. God, I pray that when we leave here today, we would be encouraged and challenged to understand, to know that you, Jesus, are our only hope in this world. There's no amount of money, stability, 
There's no amount of success. There's no relationship that will ever make us feel full. But it is a relationship with you that will give us the joy of life and life to the full. And that we, Lord, can place our faith and our hope and our trust in you. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Easter. If you're here and you are a guest and you want to talk to somebody, Tim and Kathy are down over here. Um, I'm going to be down over here as well. If you just want someone to pray with you, um, there's some people around the room that have some connect lanyards on. They would love to pray for you as well. We love you guys. Happy Easter.